Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Taylor Rapp, former Washington Husky defensive back, and you are tuned in to the Circling Seattle Sports Podcast. All right. Welcome back. Another week. This is episode 25 now of the Circling Seattle Sports Podcast. I am here with my friend Bennett. Hello, Bennett. Hello. Uh, and this is going to be I, – I don't – how long do you think this is going to be? Because we've got two games to go over. So we might <laughs> – last week we pushed an hour and a half. Go so for a minute. <laughs> we uh, we might have some more. Uh, so let's let's just go straight into it with the game against the Dolphins. Uh, Chris Carson started off the scoring with a one-yard rushing touchdown in the first quarter, followed by two field goals by Jason on the other side of the field, Jason Sanders. Uh, but then other Jason, Jason Myers, added a field goal to end the first quarter, uh, leaving us with a score of ten to thirteen. Seattle, two more field goals by Jason Sanders, um, and then a touchdown from Russell Wilson at the end of that half. That was that quick little, uh, what was that? Shoot, how many seconds was that? That was under a minute. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, 20, 21 seconds. 21, yeah, 21 second seconds, touchdown. making the two-minute drill into a 21-second drill, uh, with, and then topping it off with a three-second play. No, with a three-yard touchdown catch from Travis Homer with three seconds left, uh, leaving us at halftime with a score of 17-9. You know, not exactly as high-flying as the other weeks before this, but still, you know, with an eight-point lead there. Third quarter was pretty empty with only Jason Sanders hitting another field goal. So if you're counting at home, that is four field goals for a Miami Dolphins kicker, Jason Sanders, to put us at 17-12 to 12 going into the fourth quarter. He would add his fifth field goal with eight minutes and 31 seconds left in the fourth. So if you had Jason Sanders in fantasy, you are probably a happy person uh, last week. Um, but then after that, the Seahawks would add touchdowns from David Moore and Chris Carson to go up to 31-15. Ryan Fitzpatrick would add a late touchdown as well as a two-point conversion, but it would not be enough as the Seahawks would win 31-23. to Russell Wilson added 360 yards and only two touchdowns. I say only, even though we've been pretty spoiled with four touchdown and five touchdown performances uh, in the previous weeks. Chris Carson had a solid outing on the ground with 80 yards and two touchdowns. DK Metcalf added 106 yards receiving. Bible Wagner led the team with 12 tackles. Kater Wright made plays all over the boards. Did drop a couple interceptions, but, I mean, defensive, uh, you know, pass deflections are always, you know, can't take away from that. Really showed out after being, you know, 10-year veteran. Uh, and Shaquille Griffin and Ryan Neal both added interceptions. Another good week for Ryan Neal. Uh, just really impressive to see him uh, in his story. Talk about that a little bit later. Uh, safety Demarius Randall and corner Gavin Heslop were both promoted from the practice squad prior to this game, but neither saw much action, uh, which is interesting to note. I'll talk about that later. Don't want to spoil anything. And the secondary, div- the defense as a whole gave up 315 yards, uh, but they probably had to that point, they probably had their best outing, which isn't saying much, you know, um, with the way that this defense has played, but it, it's an improvement. So, we're going to go straight to Bennett. What stood out to you about that game against the Dolphins? Um, for the sake of brevity, I will stick to just the Seahawks analysis. And I will say that I think I was really impressed by our run defense, particularly going against running backs. Uh, we let Fitzpatrick um, yeah, he... run around a little mm. more than we should have. Um, I think he ended up running for about 50, 47 some odd yards. And it's not like he's this dual threat quarterback that you game plan for. So that, you know, that's not, not at always all. something to be proud of. But outside of that, 
Um, but outside of that, you give up 56 running yard, rushing yards to um, the committee they have over there in Miami, and I think that's something to be proud of. Uh, Gaskin and Breda, they're they're good running backs. Um, I mean, Jordan Howard was good at some point. Uh, he's just kind of lost his role, it seems. I think in this he's league. fallen. Yeah, he's fallen out of his prime. He came and he fumbled. Uh, he, I think he was actually got that fumble back where it bounced out of bounds. Um, but just I think that was KJ Wright who forced it. It's just. Um, but yeah, I think the running game, stifling that against the Dolphins was nice, uh, considering that's kind of been their bed and butter. And our linebacker core played like crazy. So I think that stuck out to me. Our red zone defense was actually pretty efficient. Um, keeping them to five field goals when they could have easily scored um, maybe not that many touchdowns, but maybe two touchdowns off of that, maybe three mm-hmm. touchdowns off of that. I think that's also something to be proud of. Um, ball hawk defense in the secondary was interesting to see considering how much we've been giving up big yardage. I mean, we gave up 315 yards to Fitzpatrick off of 45 attempts, however. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, there, there is some leverage there and we also picked him off twice. Um, so that was kind of interesting to me and we could have had five interceptions if KJ Wright could catch. <laughs> um, so just to have that ball Hawk offense, was surprising to me. Um, I mean, you you still let Devontae Parker rush, run you for 110 yards. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I was actually pretty surprised with how well the secondary played. In terms of offense, I think this was a great game for Chris Carson to reestablish himself as the uh, leading guy for our team. Um, Russ had a good game. I mean, it's kind of interesting that his worst game for us so far, uh, you could argue was either the Vikings game this week or the Dolphins game from last week, kind mm-hmm. of a coin toss between the two. In terms of yardage, uh, you'd probably say this week's game, um, mm-hmm. but that's for a different thing. Uh, but I mean, overall, I think he had a pretty spectacular game in terms of quarterbacking. Uh, 112.4 QB rating. To have that be an off game for your quarterback, uh, you know you're spoiled uh, oh, yeah. because you could be uh, on the other side of the coin. Ryan Fitzpatrick have a pretty decent game with a 66.4 quarterback rating and two interceptions. Um, so I think Russell had his worst game of the season so far at that point, and he still had a pretty good game. So that also kind of, to me, was emblematic of his uh, MVP candidacy season. Uh, but other than that, I think this game was all Seahawks. The score does not show how one-sided this game felt. I think it was frustrating sometimes to yeah, be a fan, would, a Seahawks yeah. fan watching it. But at no point did you think we were going to give up the win, at least not in my opinion. No, it just it just kind of seemed like a game that Miami kind of hung around in. Uh, I mean, they even won the time of possession battle. But in terms of just how the game went, uh, you know, never letting them get a lead, it just kind of seemed like they were there, you know what I mean? But they just didn't – it wasn't – yeah, it wasn't as close as they uh, – as the score showed. Um, and I know you spoke about it a little bit uh, in the secondary. did have 12 pass deflections. Uh, and obviously we know what happened against the Vikings. Uh, but not to go too much into that, 
obviously, I mean, Devontae Parker's no slouch. Uh, and Ryan Fitzpatrick does have his days. But do you think that the secondary could be on an uptick here? I mean, it's not like he's a bad quarterback, like I said. Um, but it seemed like they played better. I mean, the defense as a whole, I mean, KJ Wright, I mean, like we said, if he could catch, you know, we'd probably have more touchdowns there. Um, but it seems like they're kind of getting in their groove, and that's just a big thing is uh, letting them play together and get game experience with each other that they wouldn't have uh, due to the way that the season's been going on, uh, as well as injuries uh, to lose Marquise Blair uh, for the year and to have Jamal out for this game uh, and this next game heading into the bye. What do, what do you think about the secondary play going forward? Well, I don't know if we're going to improve. Um, at least we didn't really see them improve in the Vikings game. Um, we actually might have seen them go backwards. <clears throat> um, but that does reflect in quarterback talent that we're playing against. Mm-hmm. I think after the bye, we might see them improve. I think it um, really depends on the coaching situation and how that pans out. <laughs> Can um, I think the biggest thing to me was we had the Vikings at a third and six. No, we had them at a third and four. And we had Trey Flowers on Adam Thielen playing about six yards back. Hmm. Uh, so you throw a hook, you throw a slant, you throw a curl. You're going to get that yard. You're going to get the first down pretty much instantly uncontested. And so That's, is that – That to me is coaching. Yes, yeah. You never naturally play that far back. <laughs> um, that to me is we need to play soft coverage, not give up the good play uh, – the big play, keep them in front of us. That's crazy. That's just bad coaching. Um, I But – if he stays there for much longer, I feel pretty unconfident in changing much. I think the potential is there. We have a lot of good pieces. Oh, yeah. Um, it, does, it does come down to having guys being put in the right position to succeed. Exactly. So, and it needs to be unlocked. The potential needs to be unlocked. And you, you're not going to unlock this potential if you just keep these guys playing six yards back. Yeah, sitting there um, and just giving that, that cushion. Exactly. This cushiony uh, zone coverage – is just not cutting it, especially for teams that dink and dunk as much as, I don't know, the Miami Dolphins or the Vikings do. Um, I mean, we do not give up the big play that often. We don't give up the 45-yard bomb. Um, so I guess you could say that's good about our secondary, and when we do, it's rare. But we do give up a lot of the five-yard completion in the middle mm-hmm. of the field which kills us. So I think there is potential there. It just needs to be unlocked. Um, especially in young guys like Neil and Amadi. I don't even know if Ryan Neal's that young because he's been on our team for about seven years. Um, but young in terms of experience, Neil and Amadi, um, I'll even throw Shaq in there because we kind of forget he's only in his fourth year. Mm-hmm. Maybe I think third actually. No, fourth. Um and I think he's uh, about to be off his rookie contract. He's yeah, Shaq's twenty five, and Ryan Ryan is only twenty four. How has he been on our team for so long? <laughs> well, he How was cut seasons? six different times. Cut six different times. He hasn't been on there for six seasons. Uh, Ryan Neal, I think he got drafted in um, what was it twenty twenty eighteen? Let me look. I think he was um, a twenty eighteen draft guy. 
Oh, he was signed by Philly undrafted in 2018, got waived. He signed with the Falcons, uh, didn't make their 50-man, three-man roster, joined the practice squad, uh, was promoted to the active roster again. So 2018 was a wild ride for him. Uh, and then in 2019, he signed with our practice squad. He got promoted to the active roster on December 11th uh, and then re-signed with the, us in April of this year, was waived in September on the 5th and then signed back to the practice squad the next day. So, and then of course he plays hero when we play against the, wow. uh, so yeah, wild ride for him. <laughs> I could have sworn it was like, he's been on our practice squad for six years, but I guess I was wrong. Uh, he's been cut six times. So I guess I've misunderstood. He was that. essentially like in practice squad purgatory. He was just kind of hanging out in there until he finally has gotten his shot. And now he just doesn't seem to be looking back. Um, um crazy, just a crazy story for him. Crazy potential. Um, I've read a couple of articles about people saying they're not surprised he's having such an astronomical rise. Mm. Um, so Neil, Amadi, I'll throw Shaq in there. I'll throw, well, I'd throw Marquise Blair in there, but he's doubt for the season. Mm-hmm. But the pieces, like I said, are there, and I think we just need to use them correctly. So this was supposed to be later, but I'll ask this now. I mean, we did just talk about the guy. So do you think that it'll be – you know, really important to get Ryan Neal's spot going forward because obviously when Jamal comes back, um, I'm sure he's going to just, he's going to go straight back to that strong safety spot. I mean, I don't think they'd throw him in at nickel, but I think you could potentially throw a guy like Neal in at nickel because uh, even against the Vikings, they're throwing him in uh, for blitzes. And I mean, I don't think he got home there uh, for a sack, but I mean, he was still providing pressure. So, and it's not like he's been a slash in coverage either. So I think potentially, obviously, Amadi's been playing well. Uh, I don't know if you can just take it from him. But I think at some point you're going to have to – somewhere you're going to have to find a spot to put this guy. I mean, I, I don't think you can just throw him back on the practice squad uh, with the way he's been playing at least. Um, so do you have any thoughts on that? Well – yeah, it, 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 it gets spoiled by this week. This uh, this would have been more of a bigger question last week, I think, what we do with him this week. But I think, uh, yeah, he's our guy till Adams comes back, and Adams should come back by the time we play week seven. Um, I think he's a starter quality safety, though. He, he obviously doesn't belong on the practice squad, like you said. Um does that mean he has a rotational slot with Adams? Maybe if Adams gets gassed, we can see him play. Um, I just, I could also see him play nickel. Um, Maybe switch out reps with Amadi, but there's a lot of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. With Quentin Dunbar, you know, being as good as he is to keep Trey Flowers off the field, which I love. um, (laughs) I don't know how much we'll see Norton or Carroll be reluctant to have like rotations coming off mm-hmm. the defense. Cause I think that can disrupt the flow of a game. Like we saw when flowers would come in for Dunbar. So I don't know if Neil would do the same thing for Adams or mm-hmm. for Amadi. I think you could flex him out to nickel easily. Um, but he, he's a good, he, he's a quality, he's a quality safety. Oh, yeah. And I think and I mean... um, he deserves to have a spot on our team 
in some capacity. Yes. And I, I think, think it's just us figuring out where that is, what that capacity is, and how we use him while we also have Jamal Adams. Mm-hmm. And I mean, bottom line, the dude should be, you know, backing up something maybe at nickel or uh, it's a, a strong safety. It's just has been amazing to see him go from that sort of practice squad purgatory um, and to come in. And I mean, like, I, like we've talked about both on, on here and not off here, like Dallas, Dallas is not a bad team picking off, you know, getting the pick in there. I mean, making a play uh, in that game against the dolphins. Uh, and I mean, he was flying around last night. I mean, he didn't get uh, a pick or anything, but I mean, he was flying around last night uh, against Minnesota. So it, it it will be interesting to see how that gets managed. Um, obviously, they take the bye week. They can take the bye week to think about it, mm-hmm. um, heading into their game against Arizona. Uh, but it will be interesting to see uh, where that goes from there. So let's get to it. I mean, we've already kind of started leaking into it. Let's just get into Minnesota there uh, in that win. From last night, I mean, to say that the first half was ugly uh, would be an embarrassment. I will admit, I think at one period of time, I almost fell asleep. Uh, yeah, it was fair. just all, all Minnesota. Uh, Dalvin Cook started off with a rushing touchdown. And on that drive, it just seemed like they were just ripping through the defense with runs. I mean, I didn't really see much, many stops, you know. Um, and then they would add two Dan Bailey field goals going in to the half. I mean, it was, uh, I think me and you talked about it. It just seemed like this was a game that offense couldn't get anything started. Uh, the defense really wasn't stopping the run game. Uh, I'll get get into that a bit. A bit hell, I can't speak a little bit later, but I mean, it just seemed like Devin Cook was doing his thing. I mean, despite the injury seasons, he's been extremely productive in his time in the league. Uh, and I think going into this game, he was a leading rusher in the league. I don't know if he still is, um, but it just things things didn't look like they were going well in Seattle. Uh, and then the, the momentum swung back to Seattle's favor, uh, despite that first drive of the second half that we got the ball being a run, 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 punt uh, drive, which, you know, Kind of frustrating when you've got Russell Wilson just run the ball three straight times, and, and you don't even let. I think I think going forward, this isn't in my notes or anything. But going forward, I'd want to see Russell run it more, or just get that opportunity just so you could again tease that he can run still. I mean, it's not like he's just going to sit in the pocket all day. But anyway, uh, Seattle will score three touchdowns in under two minutes uh, in that third quarter. There, Will Disley caught a 19-yard touchdown pass with nine minutes and 55 seconds left in the third. DK Metcalf caught a 13-yard touchdown with 819 uh, left. Chris Carson would add a 29-yard rushing touchdown with 802 left in the process, throwing Harrison Smith off of him onto the ground. That was just kind of a bizarre play, that rushing <laughs> touchdown. Just, I mean, it started off as a good run play, got through the line, uh, broke through the second level, and then Harrison Smith tried to, like, run, rush, uh, rush, uh, rip the ball out from him, and Chris Carson did like a spin move, a little pirouette, and sent Harrison Smith flying uh, in route to the end zone. So then, I mean, you go, <laughs> there's a 21-point swing, uh, you know, and it was all celebration for a little bit uh, until it kind of cooled off going into the fourth. No, 
uh, late in the third, uh, Kirk Cousins would find Adam Thielen for a three-yard touchdown uh, with 339 left. Uh, they would go for two to try and even it up at all 21, but would fail on that little bizarre Kirk Cousins quarterback draw, which if I'm on the defense and I see Kirk Cousins running it, I'm not exactly going to be scared. I mean, Kirk, you know, he's a pretty solid quarterback, but I'm not looking for the dude to run in, run it in. Uh, and so that will lead the score at 19 to 21. In the fourth, uh, with 7-0 late left, he would find Adam Thielen again uh, for a score, putting us at 26 to 21. Uh, and then so going in, uh, with about five minutes left, I believe, Minnesota was driving down the field with the ball. Uh, without Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison and Mike Boone were both putting in good runs for the team. And it just – at that kind of point in the game with, the you know, the r- clock running down and Minnesota with the ball, to me it was – I mean, I'm not going to say I thought it was over, but the way that they were moving the ball – and controlling the clock, it just, it was, it was kind of like, you know, how do we get out of this? Um, but the defense was able to saw a little bit on third down. Minnesota had an end around with Adam Thielen. Uh, he had initial contact with Ryan Neal, who wasn't able to make the stop fully, and Quandre Diggs, who also wasn't able to make the stop. But I think it was Benson Mioa and Demontre Moore who were able to stop Adam Thielen inches away from the first down marker and with fourth and inches, the really interesting decision was made by Mike Zimmer to go for it on fourth and inches as compared to taking the field goal and going up by eight points, which is in the moment, you know, and even now I think that decision is really hard because when you've had the rushing game, like you had, they had 200, uh, 201 yards rushing, you know, and, Madison, I mean, Madison's probably as good of a backup running back as you can get. Um, what the heck? And to, to have that and to have inches, you know, to put away a team with Russell Wilson on the other side of the ball, you'd probably want to, you know. So I think at that point, you can't go wrong with either decision almost. Um, but they obviously, as we know, fourth and inches, they didn't get it. So the offense would get the ball back. On the six-yard line, uh, Russell Wilson would start the, the drive off with a 17-yard rushing rushing attempt. Uh, and I believe then they got into the sort of issue there with some incomplete passes to put us on fourth and 10, uh, where he would then find DK Metcalf on that fourth and 10. Huge connection there. Uh, would find Tyler Lockett for 21 yards would find DK for another 17. And then, what was it? I believe it was on, hmm. they were on the goal line. He found DK Metcalf in that right corner uh, near the pylon, but it was punched out by Mike Hughes. And they tried a fade route to DK Metcalf that sailed away. And then finally on the next play, he would find DK Metcalf with 15 seconds left. They would then attempt a two point conversion uh, which would fail, so they would that would lead the score at 27 to 26. Minnesota would get the ball back, and after a 10-yard reception by Kyle Rudolph, leaving 10 seconds on the clock, Kirk Cousins would be, and I'm going to put this in air quotations because it was kind of an interesting play. He would be air uh, sack fumbled 
by Benson Mayoa. Uh, and that play would run the clock out, would run all 10, 10 seconds off the clock. It would be reviewed because obviously it's a turnover and the end of the game, but the play would stand and the game would end that way. The Seahawks would win 27 to 26, giving them the first 5 and 0 start in franchise history. It would be Russell Wilson's 30th game-winning drive of his career. He would later go on in his press conference to state that he felt like Sue Bird in the clutch. Obviously, he wore – well, not obviously. He wore a Sue Bird jersey into the stadium that uh, for pregame, uh, a nod to the Seattle legend who helped the Storm win their fourth title in franchise history last week, which is going to be mentioned later on. Uh, Russell Wilson would finish with 20 passing attempts – no, 20 completions on 32 attempts, 217 yards, so kind of down in the yards. Three touchdowns, one interception. He was sacked four times. He would also be the rushing leader with 58 yards on five carries. Chris Carson only had eight carries, which is down uh, cut in half from last week against Miami. Had 52 yards and a touchdown. DK Metcalf had six catches, 93 yards, and two touchdowns. And KJ Wright recovered a fumble and snagged an interception in the process. So we finally got one after the three pass deflections last week. The defense did not allow... 300-yard passing, so that's that's pretty good. But as I mentioned earlier, they did give up 201 yards on the ground, uh, and they did collect three sacks. And Michael Dixon had another great week uh, with four punts, four out of five, landing inside the 20. So after all that and after I just talked for way too long, uh, what are your thoughts after that primetime thriller against the Vikings? Oh, man, uh, probably the most – exciting game of the year maybe tied with the Patriots game that was that was crazy that was like a really crazy game I think Russell Wilson exemplified what is just so special about him uh he literally does not let anything stop him from having a good game and from winning a game he's a freaking force of nature uh just it's impossible to get this dude to quit you really struggled through the first half. He has 217 yards. Um, pretty pretty low in yardage for a quarterback who wins a game 27-21 and slings three touchdowns. Um, not 27-21, 27-26. Um, that is like pretty much solely coming from the second half. So if he had those jets on the entire first half, we'd be seeing a completely different stat line. I think after an incredibly hot start, he might be relegating to the norm, but he still should be considered the front runner for MVP in my opinion. So this game was just vintage Russell. I mean, he was throwing well in the second half, scrambled well and was clutched just all the way through um, the second two quarters of the game. It was a bit of a bummer to see us struggle defensively, especially on the rush defense, which I know we'll touch on later. Um, DK just had an incredibly monster of a game incredible monster of a game uh i think he's putting the league on notice he should be considered a top 10 wide receiver right now not even close um it was weird to see tyler get uh tyler lockett get held to such few yards mm-hmm. um, that's like too. uh two weeks in a row i think he's been pretty subdued and we've seen dk burst out um but I think Tyler Lockett feels comfortable playing that supporter role in the in a game. Um, him and David Moore are very complimentary to each other. I think we'll see him break out again as we go along. Um, I think he's just coming back to earth a little bit. 
For the Vikings, uh, wow. Uh, hey, Dalvin Cook is uh, – Dalvin Cook, I should say. Is Oops. Just, <laughs> that's a slip of the tongue. Classic. Is, he's just a force, man. He oh, is yeah. crazy good. Uh, I think – I haven't seen a Vikings game uh, since we played them last year, uh, which I think we did, right? Yeah. No. Whenever we last played them, and Dalvin Cook did not get a whole lot of rushing yards. Um, so I haven't seen this dude play since then. And to see him just kind of stomp on our defense was crazy. And that's, that's just emblematic of why the Vikings should have a winning formula. They're one in four being one in four with the leading rusher in the league just doesn't make sense to me. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it is kind of tough considering they showed it during the game the amount of time of possession they had. Uh, so obviously, I mean, you can't really. It's hard. Well, no, that's interesting too that they have they've struggled in time of possession prior to our game prior to the last weeks. So they had good time of possession against Tennessee. Uh, it's interesting to see that he's a leading rusher, but to see that they don't necessarily dominate the time of possession. Right. And it just, it goes to show that, I mean, I don't know if that's quarterbacking. You could say it is. Uh, Kirk Cousins really struggled to get started the season. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think the Vikings have a winning formula with, with Dalvin cook. And I just, it is surprising to me that he is not winning more football games for them. I will say, I think they made a spectacular decision with um, not forcing him back on the field. Alexander Madison is a perfectly serviceable running back, Mm -hmm. perfectly serviceable second string running back. Um, So I, I have no qualms with them doing that. Uh, I know there will be a couple people asking why they wouldn't put him back in. But honestly, uh, he's your million-dollar man. You don't want him getting hurt any more than he already is. And I'm pretty sure they just paid him, too. They did just pay him one day before the season started. It'd be important Um, not to ruin, you know, don't break break the guy that you just paid. You break the bank, and then he gets hurt. Um, That is bad, (laughs) obviously. That's not what you would want from – from your running back. So I think they made the right decision and Alexander Madison did just fine. He tore us up just as much as, uh, just as much as Dalvin cook did. So I think. And it's interesting too, because he Dalvin cook only played one snap after he came back. And that right. was that play that KJ Wright got the pick. And right. I did, I watched him on that play after the game. I watched the replays well, the highlight. Uh, tape um and it was the bootleg to him and he just kind of like and it just didn't look like it was right so i mean if you were to force him back in there uh i mean i'm sure it only gotten worse um right kind of like kind of well i don't want to compare the uh training staffs of the minnesota vikings and the now washington football team but when we played washington in that wild card that one year and they put uh, – funny, because Kirk Cousins was a backup at the time. Uh, they put Robert Griffin III back in with that injured injured knee, and he just re-injured himself and just hasn't really been the same. 
So it's just it's important to see going forward with teams how they handle injuries uh, to their players, let alone you know their star players, uh, because I mean at some point you got to think about what's going to go on in the future. Uh, so I mean, like you said, with a guy like Cook in the backfield, and you know Kirk Cousins isn't a slouch. I mean, he's not you know some guy you can sign off the street. Kirk Cousins can win you games. Just, you know, that's, I mean, I guess, I don't know if that comes out of coaching or their game plan on offense, but uh, it's just, it'll be interesting to see how they handle Devin Cook uh, in that whole situation. But to kind of speak on that, what what happened last night with the, 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 this, the run defense? I mean, an interesting point to look at is in the years, in the, well, in the years, in the weeks previously, Seattle's kind of been playing with the score. I mean, it's not like they've uh, they've had leads. Is my point I right? Guess. So the rushing yards, the rushing attempts for these opponent, opposing teams. Uh, I mean, it's not like we've been playing playing slouch running backs either. I mean, we had Zeke Elliott the other week, a uh, great committee in Miami with Matt Breida, who's got amazing speed, and Miles Gaskin, who me and you personally have seen what he can do yep. on the field. Um, I mean, just shoot, you know, I mean, it's not like we're playing touch running backs. So I'd ask this question, but I think me and you both kind of know that that run defense struggled because I mean, we didn't have that lead, you know, we weren't doing what we do on offense. I mean, if, if you've got some, go ahead and, you know, say it. Well, to me, Um, I mean, to me, the biggest thing was our tackling. Our tackling, yeah, was just that too. Bad. That too. Yep. yep. Um, the arm tackling, the uh, the dive tackles, those are not conducive to winning a football game. Especially not against a guy like Dalvin Cook. Yeah, Dalvin Cook, he's a strong running back. Alexander Madison. Alexander Madison kind of has some shades of Dalvin Cook as well. So you're not going to get these guys down by wrestling them down with your arms. You got to wrap up and you got to bring them down with a fundamental football tackle. Um, I think Barton might've been a pretty big perpetrator of this. Uh, Barton, I mean, statue, you look at Cody Barton's statue, you say he had an amazing game. Oh yeah. 14 total tackles, nine solo. I mean, you'd think if you, if you, if you didn't watch the game at all, you could say that that was a great game. Say, Hey, you know, this guy is pretty good. But, but you watch the game, and he's just a liability. Yeah. He's like he's making these moves, um, or th- attempting to make these tackles that just don't—they're not going to work. I think Ryan Neal was also guilty of trying to go for a couple of these Cam Chancellor-esque dive tackles. Mm. Um, which I mean, you see a lot of younger players in the league do that. Try to be the try to be the hero. Uh, it's be hard enough to make them fumble, get the yeah. big hit in the backfield. Uh, and then you compare that to somebody like Bobby Wagner, who uh, will usually go for the fundamental wrap up tackle, um, not play hero. And when he does go for those shoulder tackles or those dive tackles, um, they're usually pretty money. Um, Cause he knows situationally, when to use them so i'd say that that's probably for me uh that's the biggest thing i think you have you're on to something by saying yeah we didn't have the lead so that hurts um that hurts any rush defense um but i think another thing really is that um i can't praise the uh, opposition enough um 
that 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 duo, that double-headed monster we ended up oh, playing mm. on accident of Madison and Cook um, really just showed us what was what. Which is interesting because, like you said, we haven't been playing bad running backs before this game. So, like, I think it, it, it does come down to tackling this week. Um, and I think it does come down to um, playing without the usual lead we are used to. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not like – you know, just we're playing guys that have come off practice squads. I mean, it was Todd Gurley in week one. You know, I mean, he's not his, what did we say, 2016, 2017 self. Right. You know, um, and then Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, guys like that, you know, they're not bad running backs at all. You could consider them. I mean, I don't think he's having as amazing of a year as he has in the past, but he's still Zeke Elliott, you know, and Dalvin Cook leading the league in rushing. But to your point with the tackling, it's interesting to see because, I mean, years back, I mean, obviously Legion of Boom defense was a whole different thing. But just the tackling on a base base level on all different levels of the defense from the line to the backers to the secondary, it, it seems, I don't know what it is, but sometimes the tackling is just not there. And it's just, you got to right. wonder if that comes down to Chuck, coaching. Uh, Charles, I'm going to tell, yeah, tell you something right now. I've been saying it all week. And I've been saying it last week. Comes down to the coaching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it is. It's simply bad coaching, bad defensive coaching. Um, you can't have your linemen play like linebackers. And when Ken Norton's specialty is coaching <laughs> linebackers, coaching linebackers, you're going to see a lot of these miscues on defense. Um, and I don't think he knows how to manage a secondary, and I don't think he knows how to manage a defensive line. And I think that's where we're getting exposed a lot of the time. I think our sheer talent on the defensive line is helping us a lot. Mm. Um, guys like Puna Ford, guys like Jaron Reed, who didn't have terrible games yesterday. Um, like, especially Jaron Reed, who had a crazy game last night. Oh, yeah, night. and it's good to see that considering – uh, what happened last year and not necessarily well Putting I mean it's tough to have yeah to have a great year in 2018 and then kind of struggle the next year I mean obviously going into the year after that you want to play well um, right. but I mean it is interesting to think about that because I mean for all those years you're a linebacker coach and then they I don't know if he asked to be DC or they say hey you know, we want you to be the defensive coordinator. So I'm sure a lot of that is, you know, just struggling to say, oh, you know, I've got the entire defense that I have to think about. Um, and, I mean, I, I, he's great as a linebacker's coach. I'm sure of it. But when you give up 25-plus points at home in the last 10 games, last 10 home games, it's it's, it's – I'm, I'm not blaming that at all on the talent. It's it, That's just got to be coaching because if it happens – in those 10 games and it doesn't stop at any point in there, it, it, it has to be how you game plan defensively. And I, we talked a little bit about it. Um, and Pete Carroll actually was asked about it in the press conference uh, following yeah. the game about bringing in Dan Quinn. And that's, a, I see that a lot from people like fans. They say, Oh, bring Dan Quinn back. And I mean, I'm sure if, if, if that were to be considered or it were to happen, it wouldn't be for a while because, right. I mean, you just got fired as a head coach. You know, I'm sure you're going to take a little bit of a break there at all. 
because, I mean, you were a head coach. You have a lot of things to deal with. Uh, And Pete Carroll has kind of been – I mean, they were friends. You know, that's what he said. You know, he said he's going to give him – it's time to figure time. out what he's going to do with yeah. his career. And it's – it's because, I mean, you go from leading a team, coaching a team to the Super Bowl and having some – I mean, I'm consider, you consider him down years since then. Right. Um, just it's, – it's interesting to see where he's at right now with that. Um, well, Or where he's mean... going forward. I will say right now, pardon the noise, I will say right now that Dan Quinn is obviously a better option uh, than Ken Norton. What I am reluctant to say, or not reluctant or maybe reticent to say, is that we should pick him up immediately. Um, Is, am I saying pick him up after the season half? Am I saying pick him up after a season? or the off season. I don't know. Uh, but I think the biggest thing for our defense is to get rid of Norton. Mm. Uh, the guy was a failed experiment in Oakland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if that doesn't tell you enough about him, I don't know what will. And I will, I am not, I am continuously perplexed as to why we would even sign him as a coach or hire him as a coach, I should say. And then even um, to continue for it to happen. To continue to use him. I mean, this, this cloud soft coverage is ridiculous and not conducive to winning football games. No. It is, the tackling I mean, has been poor. I mean, you, you look at our defense in every facet, and we should be a good defense, and we're not doing well. Why do you think Jamal Adams is the only football player on our team and our <laughs> secondary is doing good? It's because he had a different coach in New York for a couple of years. So, I mean... I just I, I struggle, I struggle with uh, with with how we are managing. Yeah, I mean that kind of decision making is almost like when you bring in Blair Walsh after he misses a field goal against you in a wild card game. Yeah, and then and, go and sign him. It's like, well, you know, I don't know what we were really thinking here, but uh, and he, he goes around, he turns around, he costs us multiple games. Yes, and at least there, the experiment lasted the year and it was done. From here, right. it's been what I don't know, like three three plus years. And yep. I mean, I'm sure he's fine in his his role as a linebackers coach, right. but to have him be the guy for the entire defense, you know, it's just not not, not, not sustainable. I mean, it's not you know if it happened for a year and you're testing it out to see if it works, sure, you know, it's not bad to try things, right? But if it fails and you continue to try it. I mean, I think that's like the definition of insanity is when something doesn't work (laughs) and you continue to attempt it. Right. So, I mean, give him his time. uh, But if you're going to bring somebody in, I don't, I think I'd have to think that Dan Quinn would be at the top of that list considering he does have actual experience being a defensive coordinator. Um, And with the team, of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some of these guys are still there, KJ and Bobby and um, Mm -hmm. So he'd have the familiarity. What's interesting, too, is the, like, during games and the national media is like, when they talk about this defense, it's like, oh, it's far from the Legion of Boom days. It's like, that's great. But it's not like we lost all our defensive talent after Legion of Boom went away. It's just, it just, it does come down to coaching. I mean, when you look at who is the defensive coordinator for those massively, you know, 
those years where we were blessed with that defense, it's, it wasn't exactly Ken Norton who was a defensive coordinator. I'm just going to say that now. Uh, but I will say, I think that there is, in terms of the pass rush, just to, just to nudge ourselves back to the original question, um, <laughs> I think there's a lot more optimistic things. There's a lot to be optimistic about rather than be pessimistic about. Mm. Um, I think Reed had a good game. Like I said before, Demontre Moore had a pretty good game too. And Snacks is just on the horizon. So mm-hmm. I think we have... Don't forget about our guy Benson. Benson had Benson Mayoa had a good he had that good game and that 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 quote unquote uh, well yeah strip sack. I mean did you want to talk about that because I mean obviously I'll take it you know but it was I think I think the first fumble was more indicative of a fumble being pushed by an arm that other one I don't I don't know I don't know you well. Know. It's I can take that. I can take that. Uh, no, that wasn't a fumble. I can say that with my whole chest. Um, but my counterpoint is, and if there just so happens to be a stray Vikings fan stumbling upon this, they might, <laughs> might really get angry at me. It didn't matter. Uh, yeah, that's what didn't. I was going to, you know, because. You put, you put what, five seconds back on the clock? Mm-hmm. Uh, Kirk Cousins, even if he throws a beautiful 35-yard pass, he has to do it in under five seconds. So already near impossible. Because you have to have at least maybe, oh shoot, a couple seconds in the pocket. I mean, to get down the field. To let your wide receivers get down the field. Yeah. Uh, You have to have less than a second of airtime, which is impossible, (laughs) unless you throw a laser dart. Uh, I mean, Kirk Cousins has got an arm. Uh, but I just, to me, highly improbable. He makes that thirty-five yard pass and catch in thirty-five in five seconds. Yeah. Um, has our secondary been shot against Thielen all day? Yeah. Could Thielen have gotten that? Probably. Uh, would they have called the timeout on time to get the field goal unit out there and win the game? No, probably not. Um, time would have expired. Oh, the well, they were out still. of timeouts because they had to call that timeout. I thought they had to use the one with Rudolph. I could no, I, I I believe they had they had one timeout left. Okay. Okay. Um so to me it's just highly improbable. It, yeah, it was just something that was like I mean it's it's very scarce that you see those sort of Hail Mary situations work. Obviously the guy in Green Bay has made that happen. Yeah, we you know don't, in we don't different say situations. Uh, we, we'll, we'll wait till that game happens. We don't uh, say his name here. If that happens in the playoffs and we have to play that man. Hopefully um, not in Lambeau again. After hopefully not in Lambeau, and hopefully we just in, avoid him entirely. Hopefully yes. somebody else does our dirty work for us. Gets rid and of if we day. somehow make it to the conference championships, we don't have to play against Green Bay. And their crazy good year that <laughs> I was hoping wouldn't happen. Um, so yeah, I mean it's just it's it's as much as like oh you know the cheat hawks are back blah 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 you know it's like hey man you know you take the time off the clock that the that play would have taken and then you put all that into account and you use your mental math I mean it's just it's something that would have been really hard to do so you know yeah. and, and, and it's not like Minnesota's and it's yeah I just I find it hard for myself to find any empathy for them maybe if there was like 30 seconds left and mm, somehow a fumble yeah. drained it down to five seconds it's like he had 10 that's seconds. where they ended up 
then yeah, I'd be pretty like, okay, yeah, that we kind of did them dirty there. Uh, but this was like, I don't think it mattered. No. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So what what did you see on that first half? Because really, as I said, I think I think for a point in time I did fall asleep. It just was like, I mean, the secondary for the the Vikings played well, but it just seemed like it just I, I don't know. It was like the conservative Seahawks were back where they're just like, oh, we're just gonna kind of run the ball and not really. I'm not. I'm just gonna stop. What did what did you see there? Well, what you do see there. I think this is a fantastic question because it really gets us into how good the Vikings could be. Mm. Zimmer's game plan was just fantastic. We had no juice to feed off of whatsoever. And I don't know if you can pin that much on the Seahawks. I think you really have to give the Vikings credit to how much they outcoach the Seahawks. Mm. Uh, Russ just wasn't out there. And that's how you kill the Seahawks. Yep. Our playmakers weren't out there. It was just a dead first half, and that's exactly what the Vikings wanted. The more excitement you can take out of the Seahawks' offense, that's when you're going to beat them. So when Russ touches the field, it hurts the opposing team, right? So you construct this dink-and-dunk, ground-and-pound, clock-munching offense, and you keep this MVP frontrunner off the field, you're going you're gonna to shut down that team. Um. Did they get lucky a few times and execute it perfectly? Yes. Um, will that happen every week for them? No. But I think this was an incredibly teaching moment for them to learn how they can shut down teams like Green Bay and mm-hmm. um, Mr. Cheese Man. Because um, <laughs> so they still have to play him again. I mean, they yeah, played they him in like play week him, one. They have to play him one more time. And discount uh-huh. double check himself is very hard to beat. But if you keep him off the field and you keep – um, Devonte Adams and the running back that I can't remember his name, Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones, and you keep their playmakers off the field. That's how you win the game. Mm-hmm. It's substantially harder to do against against Green Bay because they actually have a legible and eligible uh, defense. Yes, um, but I think it's possible to keep that going. So, I uh, not to get too deep into the second half because I already talked about it a little bit, but. Um, they take a huge hit with Cook getting hurt. That's mm-hmm. what they build their offense around. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you use Cook a bunch of times, and then you set up Justin Jefferson for these bombs. You set up Adam Thielen for these slants. Um, it's, a, it's a good way to play football. Uh, but I think, in my opinion, where the Vikings really lost the game um, was that K.J. Wright interception. Because um, I feel like that first half blues even extends past our first touchdown. Uh, that one to Disley, I think. Uh, I think it it even that that lack of energy mm. kind of stays there. But when KJ Wright gets that one hand interception, the momentum just swings, and I think it stays that way for the entire game. I know the Vikings put up 13 more points, um, but I think the momentum stays in favor of the Seahawks the entire rest of the game, even it through just that interception. Like they woke up a little bit. Totally. It's just you totally turn the game around. And you kind of saw the same thing against the uh, Dolphins last week where you come out of the half and then all of a sudden the defense starts making these plays to get these turnovers. Then the offense comes down. They're feeding off the energy of the defense. And it's just this masterpiece of just them, them synergizing. And it shows you that this team could go really far in the playoffs if they could keep that energy throughout mm-hmm. the whole four quarters of the game. We shouldn't have to rely 
on LJ Collier to make a stop at the goal line against Cam Newton to win against those Patriots. The Patriots, we should have been able to beat them by at least 15 points. I think that the Seahawks have that in them, and I'm not even. I'm going to throw the coaching out the window. I think it's just just going to take time for them to develop in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that first half, I think the Vikings just played very smart football. Um, they stopped the rust train in the station. They, I mean, shutting out, literally shutting out, putting having the Seahawks put up a goose egg throughout the first two quarters is incredibly difficult. They're probably one of the highest octane offenses in the league right now. And to shut them down is no simple task. So good job to them. We co- I think, of course, we could have done some things better. I think we surrender way too quickly. Third and 26, you shouldn't be running a draw play. You should mm. be. Um, Especially not slant. this year, the way that they exactly. attack things this year. And then throwing a slant to DK, um, seeing what happens, I think is better than running four yards. Because uh, throwing a slant to DK, a slant to DK could go seven yards or it could go 30. You just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, taking a shot on 3rd and 26 wouldn't be correct but I think throwing it isn't incorrect gives you, you a throw, better chance you can I mean, throw shorter passes and it gives you a better chance at converting if that's your goal and it also gives you more punt position because they're kind of expecting you to run a draw um, but I think we focus way too much on field positioning we, keep, mm. we, we pinned them at the 2 a couple times and they went and scored anyway so I think that yeah. bites us in the butt a little bit uh, but that's just game planning stuff that'll hopefully improve through the bye. So I, I'm not exactly super worried about that. I mean, to your point about Minnesota, I mean, in two weeks, I mean, while well, they play Atlanta next week, I mean, which is it's interesting because we just talked about Matt Ryan earlier. Uh, I mean, Matt Ryan's no, you know, practice squad quarterback. They play Cheese Man and the Packers the next week. Uh, they play Dallas, which Andy Dalton and Dak Prescott. Scott, you know, hope he gets better soon. That's just you never want to see an injury like that. Absolutely not. Um, though they play some quality quarterbacks, and then they have to play the Buccaneers later on in the season and the Saints on Christmas Day. So it'll be interesting to kind of watch Minnesota go along because it's not like, I mean, if I take a look at Minnesota, I mean, Mike Zimmer's not a bad coach whatsoever. They've got Kirk Cousins, as we have already talked about, Dalvin Cook. Uh, hope he's, you know, hope it's not anything serious. Right. Uh, I don't know if we've actually heard about it, what it is. Um, nope. But Alexander Madison, as we talked about, um, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson were the two highest rated wide receivers by Pro Football Focus. And I mean, Justin Jefferson's a rookie and is what, fifth year, fifth week? Right. And he's leading them in receiving guys already. So, I mean, they've, I mean, they've got guys on defense with Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris. I mean, they have they had rookie two rookie cornerbacks out there last night, and they were covering DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett against with Russell Wilson at quarterback. So, I mean, they've got the pieces. It's just about putting a game plan together that they can sustain. So right. it will be interesting to see if maybe we do see these guys again at some point. Um, I mean, I don't think they're a playoff team. Not this probably not year. this year, but just. But I mean, this this uh, I've seen more improbable things but yeah i don't i don't know any especially I mean, they'd have to, to even teams. break even they'd have to go seven and three to finish out the season mm-hmm. <laughs> or seven and, and four um because what week are we on five yeah yep um so it's not impossible seven and five that's so not when you've got seven and four is not crazy mm-hmm. but when you got 
Chicago, who's got Chicago, who might be legit, maybe, and Green Bay. But you got Green Bay, who's definitely legit, and then you got Tampa Bay, who could be good. Um, and I'll tell you what, right now, I know this is circling Seattle sports, um, but I just want to mention there's so many teams in this league right now that should not be the records that they are. Mm. Are the Seahawks one of them? Maybe. Maybe. Should we be five and zero? Maybe not. <laughs> Um, but there are very few teams that deserve the records they should that they have right now. And I'm saying like on both sides of the coin, like I don't think the Cowboys deserve to be where they are. They should be they should have a three they should be three and two, probably. Um the Falcons should probably also be three and two. The Bears should not be four and two. They should be or not four and two. What are they right now? I think they're four and one. Four and they should not be four and one. They should be maybe two and three. That even the game against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay shouldn't be four and one either. Um, but I think this is such a weird year because. Oh yeah. And I don't even, not even because of coronavirus, but just because of how the league has definitely evolved into an offense-first league, um, where rushing doesn't really matter anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very pass-first league all of a sudden. I mean, which, if you I mean, think about it, have it's you... been a slow march. Mm. Uh, since Manning. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the age of Manning definitely has something to do with that. But it's just, it's interesting to see how many teams that I look at and go, how do you have the record you have? Mm. And, like, and not a lot has changed. I mean, Tampa Bay, of course, big change. Yeah. Uh, huge upgrade in quarterbacking. But then you look at some of these other teams, and it's like, I'm not exactly sure what's changed. That's just also something that I think comes with the beginning of the season and to see how people perform. Right. Because teams like, I mean, they're not in the NFC, but teams like uh, Houston, who just got rid of Bill O'Brien, they've had years where they start out like one and three and they make the playoffs. That's true. It is interesting to take a look at where we're sitting at right now at week five, uh, a week after the first quarter of the season. And just kind of step back and look at what's happening because it will change. I'm, I can guarantee you things will change as we march on through the season. But it's just it'll be interesting to see who sort of steps up and realizes what they need to do to win football games or just to improve, you know, with the division leaders being Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Tennessee, uh, Kansas City, Dallas at the wonderful two and three spot that they're at. Green Bay, Tampa Bay, and us, and say, come back in December, you know, the beginning of December, and see who's where, Could who's buying for playoff spots, you know. Right. So, I mean, that is something that it's interesting to look at, you know, across the league, because we have to worry about, you know, Los Angeles. Los Angeles does, still doesn't feel right. The Rams <laughs> being at four and one, you know, they're one game below us, essentially. Right. Um, Arizona's three and two. I mean, they dropped games against Detroit and Carolina, but those weren't bad games. I mean, it's not like Carolina came out and played well. Teddy Bridgewater and that offense played well with Mike Davis at running back, former Seahawks. They didn't have Christian McCaffrey that game, you know. Right. He's still going to come back for them. And Detroit, it's Detroit's just in that tough division. I mean, they're one and three right now. Um, oh, one and three. I think, oh. I believe um, they had a postponed game against somebody. 
Well, they played their – they were supposed to post, have their game against the Saints postponed, but they didn't because Michael Burton's test came back as a false positive. I wonder if they had their bye already. Oh, no, they had, their, they had a really early bye. I think their bye was this week. Oh, yeah, because they played Jacksonville next. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, it, it is just interesting to see where people are at. Right. Uh, and now, I mean, we have our bye week this week. So, it's just – what what's important to look at going into this bye week and then i mean it's not like it's it's a doomsday gauntlet that we're playing after this but we do have three divisional games in a span of four games playing against the cardinals uh right after the bye week on the road right 49ers at home which is not going to be the same cuz playing the 49ers without fans just feels like it should be a crime uh, the Bills on the road in Buffalo, the first time that Russell Wilson will travel to Buffalo, uh, which that's, that's, that's something that game will be one to watch. And then the Rams in that new stadium in LA, uh, what, what, what needs to be done? Obviously we're going to have guys get healthier, but I mean, do, I don't know if, do we see a change? Do we see a big change with the coordinator on defense? I don't know if we do. I uh, hmm. just because Pete Carroll seems to be a guy who really loves familiarity. Yeah, you know, I think that's what I was gonna say. Mostly, I would love to see a change at coordinator defensively, um, which would lead me to say that I think the only thing Schottenheimer has to change is how he calls the first quarter. Um, mm. But honestly, Schottenheimer has had a fantastic season that I'm not really angry about mm. um which is new because I used to hate Brian Schottheimer <laughs> and now I think he's actually a pretty decent coordinator it's so been I think that was good just to time. see him how he and Russell have worked over the yeah. three years now obviously things have improved but yeah in the beginning it was kind of like hey you know not we don't really want to have another sort of Daryl Bevel situation where things are just we've got the talent and it's not being executed right um but obviously, to go into that with the bye week, uh, Jamal Adams didn't play in either of those games so that we have just talked about. Um, so he'll get essentially three weeks of west, west rest with the bye week. Um, and Pete Carroll did say that he should be ready to go against the Cardinals in week seven. That should. I mean, it's not a guarantee, but uh, giving those three weeks is obviously a big help. Um, Rasheem Green and Philip Dorsett are said to be back after the bye week, so get some help on that D-line. And it's sort of interesting um, to get Philip Dorsett in the mix because of his speed and how that could work well with Russell's deep ball. But it makes you wonder where he fits in now uh, when you've got DK, Tyler Lockett, David Moore. So those guys are solid, but does that push – a guy like, um, oh shoot, Freddie, excuse me, Freddie Swain back, or maybe Penny Hart uh, gets taken off the active roster. That's something that's going to be interesting to monitor. Hopefully, at some point earlier in the season, rather than later, we get Josh Gordon back. Um, hopefully, he gets reinstated. I don't really know what the whole holdup is. No one does. No that. one. Does. Not it's, even it's, Pete. It seems unprofessional to me. Honestly, I agree. I'll agree I with mean, that. I think it feels like a vendetta. 
Yeah, because I know? mean, what 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 are we waiting for? You know, it's like there's no gun. It's not like a court hearing has to happen. You yeah, know? in I terms mean, of uh, unplanned topics, yeah, uh, Josh uh, Josh Gordon ought to be reinstated. Um, he should have been reinstated at the get of the season. Yeah. Um, don't know why he wasn't. I don't think he totally knows why he wasn't. Um, it's just and it's one of the quite... things with the league, I think, with those sort of suspensions, you know what I mean? True. And I think it's really irresponsible that they haven't even communicated with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you want to set a president, that's a different thing. But if you're just not telling him what's going on, you know? Yeah. It's, I think to me that's that's dirty. It's it's weird because you'd want you'd think you'd want some transparency. It's like this is my livelihood, you know. This is how I make my money to an extent. Right. You know, I'm sure he's got other profit brand deals and the such. But um, but you you know, I want to know what's going on. You know, because I mean, he can't even. I don't know if he can even communicate. I don't think he can communicate communicate with the team or you know look at playbooks. Yeah, no, he cannot communicate the team in any official. So uh, he's, yeah, he's just kind of, there's this bubble and he's not allowed in, you know, so it's just, he'll have to play catch up whenever he comes back. And that, you know, kind of puts him at a disadvantage. I think you're severely, not you, but I think the (laughs) league uh, is severely detrimenting his ability to perform. Mm. Um, I think that without proper explanation they're like not threatening his way of life but like but it it, it hinders him in a it way. hinders his like ability to make income and it's just all around to me it's just messed up pretty dirty like it just it makes me feel bad for him and i i i wonder a lot as to when we'll get news on that but with the continued silence throughout the beginning of the season i can't help but wonder if that'll be something that let me wait. Let me wait for this noise to pass. <laughs> Sorry, but, and uh, it does make sense, you know. But um, it just to me it doesn't make sense as to why they're staying so silent. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, um, if there was words going on, you know, and there were updates, sure, I guess, right? You know, but there's nothing. It's there's just radio silence. Nothing. Radio silence. Uh, that's not fair to him. That's not fair to the team. That's not fair to I think the fans. And that's just it's bad. Uh, Bad management. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's something to monitor. Hopefully, we like I said, we hear back from that sooner rather than later. Uh, Nico Thorpe was placed on IR. So with the new rules in the pandemic, IRR can technically only mean three, three weeks. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. He was dealing with sort of a – Pete Carroll said it was like a sports hernia issue. And, mm-hmm. I mean, when I think about sports hernia, I think about Marshawn Lynch. Right. Now, his – uh sort of career ended with us well before he signed last year so you know hopefully nothing too incredibly serious but the one big thing that i was excited for was damon harrison uh having him brought in but what was interesting was i mean he signed to the practice squad uh there were two pieces that were interesting uh one was after he signed with us to the practice squad uh tampa bay reached out to him uh after they lost tom bahali uh no, oh my God, Hambahali. How did I get Hambahali? Vita Vea. My apologies. I don't know what the heck that was. That was Vita Vea uh, to injury, and they contacted Damon Harrison about potentially signing with them, and he said no, and he wanted to be in Seattle. So that's something to monitor. I mean, obviously, if you you know signed here prior to his meetings with, I know he had a meeting with Green Bay. Uh, 
but if he just signed here, you know, and he's willing to be on the practice squad, that's something that you'd like to see, you know, someone who wants to be here. Uh, shout out to Earl Thomas saying, come get me after the Seahawks beat the Cowboys. Really interesting thing to do. Uh, but also Pete Carroll said that he wasn't in – let me get the exact quote here. Pete Carroll said that we really didn't get a lot done last week. We really didn't put our pads on at all. He's a big man. He's got to get in shape. So it just kind of seems like getting him up to speed type thing with Damon Harrison. So we'll more than likely see him against Arizona. Hopefully not have to wait another week uh, for maybe 49ers, but he's just kind of get back in the shape here. Uh, the team also hosted Michael Kendricks the same day that they hosted Damon Harrison. And that's kind of interesting to see uh, with Jordan Brooks dealing with an injury um, and not really sure if he'll be back after the bye week. I mean, is it a good idea to bring back Michael Kendricks? Because when he, he was on the team last year, it was all this base defense kind of thing with wanting to get all three linebackers on the field. Uh, And that I'm, I'm sure you could say that that definitely hurt him. I mean, I would say so. Uh, does it, do you think it would be a good idea to bring him in at all? I mean, obviously, me and you talked a little bit about Cody Barton uh, and his performance against Minnesota, but what, what do you think about Michael Kendricks there and bringing him in for a visit? Um, I'm, I mean, I know Martin Barton could be a liability, and I mean, we do have other pieces we can play with. We have Burke Irvin. We have Jordan Brooks. Uh, who's injured, of course, but he might come back sooner than later. Hopefully that buy gives him enough time. I just, I don't know if I like the signing. Uh, we spend money on a guy that could possibly never even touch the field. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't hate the signing, but I, I, I'm pretty apprehensive about it. I think that'd be not a waste of money. Cause if he does play, I think he's one of those guys that will impact, um, impact the team pretty quickly. Um, But I will say that also we have a pretty decent linebacker core outside of Barton. I mean, we have KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner, probably the best linebacker duo um, uh, in the division um, currently. So I don't know if we need to spend money on Michael Kendricks. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we just have to see how the buy goes. Mm -hmm. I think we have to see how his uh, sentencing goes. Yeah, that's still, that hasn't even happened yet. That was an issue last year. So Uh, to me personally, I, I I mean, I, I was never really too big of a fan, but I also didn't hate him. So I just think, you know, with, I think that's where I stand as well. Yeah. (laughs) With that sentencing still kind of looming, and having the talent you have at linebacker that, I mean, forced Jakeem Griffin to not be signed initially to the main squad and then to the practice squad and then elevated to the main squad again. Uh, I just don't think that he's needed. I mean, Cody Barton had a bad week, but I mean, he, I know he's still young. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't see, I wouldn't mind seeing Shaquem out there. Cause I mean, he did play, late in that Dallas game in coverage at times. So, I mean, I don't see why you couldn't try him out there, but I just, I think it's more, like you said, with money and with the sentence, 
And with all that talent linebacker, I just think there's too many things that point to saying no. And that might have been why they didn't sign him and why Kendricks has had different tryouts with teams already. Um, to speak on other teams, coronavirus uh, around the league. So let's, let's take, I'll take you on a little trip here. Firstly, a couple of weeks ago, Cam Newton tests positive for the virus, but all other Patriots tests come back negative that Saturday. So on Sunday, both the NFL and NFL PA invest, well, Sunday, the NFL and NFL PA investigate if the Titans had violated protocols after they had 18 members of their franchise test positive for the virus. Pay attention to Tennessee there. That same day, the Lions and Saints game that I, I mentioned earlier initially had seemed like it was going to be postponed or played at a different time. Is They do play it after Michael Burton, the fullback, has his retest come back negative, uh, and those teams haven't see, seen any new tests since. Uh, Monday, new protocols are issued, including including video monitoring uh, to monitor compliance with protocols, bans on gathering outside of each club's facilities. And that same Monday, 10 Oakland Raiders are fined for not wearing masks at a charity event, which is just, I don't know what you're thinking. Doubly, doubly screwed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it gets, it, gets, it gets worse from there. Wednesday, Stefan Gilmore of the Patriots test positive <laughs> for COVID-19. <laughs> Not to laugh at it. Not playing, to laugh at it. Not to laugh at it. They play so that happens days after the Patriots had played their game against the Chiefs. That was originally supposed to take place on sun, Sunday. Right. So they played on a Monday. And then he plays every defensive snap for the Patriots and he tests positive on Wednesday. Two more Titans players test positive for the virus. And it is discovered that several Titans players have held a workout in Nashville at a high school while they were banned from in-person gatherings and their facility was shut down. So they went, they said, the facility shut down, let's hold our own workout, which is, we're supposed to do that anyway. Uh, And the NFL chief medical officer that same day says to not rule out the league pausing the season due to the rise in positive cases. Thursday, it was discovered from multiple executives that it was an open secret that the Tennessee Titans were not enforcing the mask guidelines. Uh, they were just kind of neutral, but like, hey, it was just kind of lax. They were just kind of being too relaxed about it. The team could face significant discipline. The league was considering making them forfeit their game against Buffalo. That's obviously supposed to take place on Tuesday, so I guess they're not going to do that. Um, Friday, all New York Jets players and coaches are sent home from the team facility after there was a presumptive positive player test. And then on Sunday, the NFL shut down the New England Patriots facility after it was found that the Patriots had another new positive test that morning. The scheduled Broncos-Patriots game was moved to week six with the Broncos' other games against the Chargers being moved to week eight and the Dolphins being moved to week 11. So, I mean, what do you think we're going to see a pause here at some point? Uh, in, I mean, what, what, why, why can a team – I mean, I guess there's two teams that really kind of screwed up well, why is it so hard for the Titans and the Raiders to follow these guidelines? I mean, you know, what's, what's the deal? I mean, I'll focus more on the Titans uh, because that's been more reflected in how the schedule has been being built. Um, I think the biggest thing is that workouts, those workouts without uh, permission, basically. 
those are pretty huge in my book. Um, pretty crazy that they even go about doing that. Uh, I think what's so hard about it is, is that this is such an unprecedented thing. Um, that a football team, I mean, a football team only has so much control over their players. We've seen this, I mean, talk about Josh Gordon, uh, you can't control somebody, what they do when they go home, what they do when practice is done. So that might be more of the Raiders deal. But then you look at the Titans who are almost having a consternated effort to not <laughs> do the guidelines imposed on them. Um, I just don't get that. Like to I'm, me, I, I mean, I don't get it either. But like, I understand that this is an unprecedented time. This is mm-hmm. something that nobody's ever dealt with. But there are some pretty smart people um, telling you what you should do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are some pretty smart people saying, "Don't practice without masks. Don't do facilities without masks." Um, you must enforce the mask rules. Mm-hmm. There, there are there are people who are doing the hard work for you of finding mm-hmm. out what yeah. you should oh, do. Oh yeah, and it's just like they're, uh, defensively they're being ignored, you know. And they're being ignored, especially the Titans. Um, and who knows? Other football teams can be doing the same thing. The Patriots are mighty suspect with how they've been mm-hmm. handling some of these things. Um, to have Gilmore and Newton and uh, so on and so forth. I don't know exactly who else yeah, has tested I positive. Sure, what that other I, third one was. And I don't believe they've disclosed because it might be. I mean, it also could be somebody who's um, uh, somebody who's a part of the oh, personnel, not a player. The defensive tackle Byron Coert. Interesting. So, so you got three players. Handle it. Um, three players testing positive so obviously you're not doing something right mm-hmm. and it makes me wonder how many of the guidelines they're following uh so what i also would like to mention is that this isn't an issue that other sports have really ran into other than maybe baseball mm. um the nba and the wnba did it perfect mm-hmm. the titans to me in those bubbles the Titans to me are emblematic of what happens with sports that are taking place during this pandemic that aren't in a bubble. Hmm. There are like way too many uncontrollable variables. So oh, the yeah. WNBA that, oh, yeah. and NBA do it perfectly. You bubble up, you can make sure the teams follow the protocol. In the NFL right now, it's nearly impossible to do that. So you, oh, yeah. you get teams like the Titans who are not following them. You get teams like the Patriots who might be suspect of not following them and you get the team people like the Raiders uh, players who step out of the official premise of a team and have the opportunity to mess with um, those protocols as well. Then you look at the bubble where you don't even have the option to go to a charity event. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're locked down. So I think that's something the NFL should look at. I don't think they'll look at it this season, but next season, um, pray that it doesn't have to happen but Mm. more than likely it will it's just hard considering how many players are on a team itself compared to how many players are on a basketball team or even a baseball team you know and it's like where are you gonna put them yeah and i mean i'm sure maybe like playoffs sure you know just considering well even with the new (laughs) wild card 
just how much it's scaled down from the 32 teams, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's just like, Hey man, you've got this opportunity to play these games. Just, just follow the guidelines. I mean, it's, you know, it's not like we're asking anything crazy, you know, uh, but it is interesting to see with the Patriots, you know, Cam Newton, that happens. And then he gets put into the COVID-19 list where he can't be with the team and the facility and all that. And then Stefan Gilmore uh, goes out and plays all of however many defensive snaps that the Patriots play against the uh, Chiefs and then the defensive tackle. But just kind of a big shake-your-head moment with the Titans. I mean, 22 different players in, I don't know, if uh, last I checked, the last round of tests they had came back negative completely. But it's just, it's, you know, I know it is it is really tough. I do agree with what you said. Uh, to manage every single person's coming in and out of that building, even with how locked down it is, you know, there's still so many people that are involved on a game day or with the right. team during the week. So it's just, it really is kind of a concerted effort for the entire uh, franchise or what well, is the team, you know, to put that effort in and not screw up, you know? Right. Uh, that'll be something to see. Uh, a lot of the games in the AFC, because it hasn't happened really to an NFC team, uh, a lot of those AFC teams have had their games impacted um, with the Steelers uh, having their games impacted. Obviously, the Titans and the uh, the Patriots and the Broncos. Just hope something like that doesn't happen with us. Obviously, with the bye week, you know, usually this is a week where people go and kind of take a break uh, go and go somewhere, do something, but it's kind of like this week, this year, rather, you, it's kind of hard. Uh, what did I read from Pete Carroll here? Um, let me see if I can find it. With this bye week, it's, it goes, we have to be so tuned in and staying connected to the team, everything's at stake. So they, they don't have any practices. Uh, the, the testing continues, but it's just – you you gotta have kind of have to have that bubble mentality where you can't really be doing some of the things you'd be doing normally. Right. So that'll be interesting to watch going forward. Obviously, I wouldn't like to see any news about a new test uh, coming from us, but you know that's just kind of how it is. Uh, so looking ahead after this bye week that we have, um, they're on the road against Arizona, as I said. They come back to play the Niners, then back on the road to play the Bills, and then the Rams. Uh, both two new stadiums actually that Russell Wilson hasn't played in uh, hasn't played in Buffalo because when he was in his that rookie year, I believe uh, they played in Toronto against the bills in a different stadium. Uh, and then LA's new stadium that they share with the chargers there. So that'll be something to take a look at. Uh, and I want to thank Bennett for coming on for another week. Obviously there's a lot that we had to cover this week, but Oh yeah. Um, it's definitely good to get another insight. So I want to thank you there, Bennett, and we will no see problem. you again next week. Yeah, thank you for having me. Always great to uh, have Bennett on there. Looking ahead into our other teams here, Seattle Mariners, we will have a roster outlook for you next week, uh, primarily because uh, I wanted to do it this week, but we had the two games to focus on, obviously, with the Seahawks uh, and another team here that I'll mention. I'm sure some of you can guess who it is. But, um, yeah, Mariners, uh, the roster outlook next season, next week. Uh, Seattle Sounders, 
they beat Vancouver over the last week, three to one. Beat the Whitecaps. Always good to beat sort of a rival there. Uh, and then they beat Real Salt Lake two to one. They lost against LAFC uh, actually on Sunday, three to one. Just kind of a sloppy game. Uh, can't really put that sort of game on Fry there. Just kind of difficult. And you lose some of your uh, pieces there due to uh, international play. And speaking of international play, Raul Ruiz Diaz um, had an initial positive test uh, for Peru's national team. Uh, second exams were done today uh, in order to confirm and or assess whether they were false positives. So it's still kind of waiting on that. But um, the game against, oh shoot, the next game that was originally supposed to be played tomorrow uh, or you know through this week, uh, was postponed for the Sounders uh, more than likely because of this test. Uh, yeah, the October 14th match against the Colorado Rapids was postponed um, by the MLS. So it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen there uh, and how that gets how that affects the season. Um, the most second, well, no. This one I'm really excited about the Seattle Storm. Uh, over the week, I'll have to. I do have to mention both games because we did have one over the last week. And uh, game two of the WNBA Finals, they beat the Aces one hundred four to ninety one to go up two nothing. Four starters had over sixteen points. Brianna Stewart had twenty two points, four rebounds, five assists. Natasha Howard had twenty one points and eight rebounds. Uh, Alicia Clark had twenty one points, five rebounds, and six assists. And Jordan Canada had ten points off the bench. Game three versus the Las Vegas Aces. The Storm won 92 to 59, sweeping the Aces to go 3 0 and win the WNBA championship. Seattle swept the Aces to win their fourth title in franchise history. This fourth title would go on. This fourth title ties both the Houston Comets and Minnesota Lynx for the most titles in league history. So, obviously, adding another one would give you the most titles in the league. Uh, Brianna Stewart took home finals MVP, scoring 26 points in game. Three, adding four rebounds. Stewie would average 28.3 points per game and 63% field goal percentage, winning her second finals MVP award just a year after tearing her Achilles. So obviously a really impressive comeback story there. Mm-hmm. You know, any sort of leg injury, Achilles injury is something that's just, you know, not, it's, it's difficult to come back from. And to have another MVP caliber season is, you know, just really impressive. She also set a record with six straight finals games with at least 20 points. Jordan Canada would add 15 points off the bench in game three. And Sue Bird has been a part of every championship team in franchise history. So just, you know, a really, the storm have been the picture of success in Seattle sports for quite a while. So it's just really impressive to see four titles, you know, it's just amazing. And all the respect in the world goes out to that team. Uh, and the franchise were just coming in year in and year out. Obviously, there have been some years that were difficult. But, you know, with this core of Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart, Jewel Lloyd, Alicia Clark, you know, with the pieces they have, Natasha Howard, Sammy Whitcomb off the bench, Jordan Canada as that backup point guard, just really, really good Uh just great team up and down. So it's really interesting to see that going forward and what the team will do heading into next season. But obviously right now 
uh, time to enjoy it, time to relax. They're out of their bubble. Uh, and yeah, so just big, big caps off to the Seattle storm there. Seattle Kraken news. Uh, while they while they weren't involved in the NHL draft, NHL draft that was held over the last week, the Kraken will uh, will be involved next year, obviously. So there's something to look forward to, I guess. But the NHL did have its draft uh, over the last week, and obviously we weren't, weren't involved. So, uh, oops, sorry for hitting the mic. Uh, UW Athletics. The Pac-12 revealed the six-game schedule, uh, November seventh at California. November 4th versus Oregon Oregon State at home. Uh, the 21st versus Arizona at home. At Washington State on the 27th of November. December 5th versus Stanford. And December 12th at Oregon. The preseason poll had Oregon as the favorite to win the conference. UW is polled to place third in the north behind Oregon and Cal. So, uh, I don't know about third, but uh, we'll see. We'll see about that. And Utah coach Kyle Whittingham is lobbying for a CFP extension, saying that it's only a matter of time for when the college football playoff will expand from four teams, not if. And I would agree with that, uh, especially after the words from a member of the college football playoff committee uh, the other week stating that it just wasn't the right time. I mean, that kind of implies that at some point that extension will happen, and it will be interesting to see. Uh, when that does take place. So, obviously, what are we pushing here? Pushing half hour again. Um, yeah, so I hope this wasn't too long. Uh really do enjoy the the talking of the sport ball, ball sports I can get with Bennett there. Great to have a second, second voice, second thought process there. Um just, just, you know, really, really was a solid week, except for the loss LAFC uh, for Seattle sports, you know, with the, the Storm winning their championship, adding, you know, making it four now for them. The Sounders had a good week, aside from the loss, as I mentioned. Um, and the Seahawks being 5-0 and now, you know, it's a good time, and we really shouldn't take this kind of thing for granted. So uh, really just, excuse me, uh, you know, Try to enjoy what we got for the time being. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll have more Seahawks football come in here. We'll enjoy, get to enjoy another championship reign with the Storm as we wait until their next season. Uh, the Sounders are continuing to play games. The Huskies are going to get back to playing here. So, you know, as we get along the, through this year of 2020, which feels like it's lasted about three years, uh, things hopefully just continue to get better. So, I want to thank you guys. I know this is going to be new because it's going to be on a Tuesday now, but just hearing back from feedback, I just heard that, you know, a day other than Saturday afternoon would be better. So we're trying this out. Um, um, Oops. Just, uh, you know, if there's any suggestions that you guys ever have, please do let me know. I'm trying to improve this. I did get a mic, a different mic here. Um, which is probably one of the best mics that I can possibly get. Um, so just working on some things, got some stuff to do. I do have classes back and I have work going on. So, you know, there is stuff going on, um, but I'm still trying to get these out weekly. So I want to thank everybody who continues to listen week in and week out. Any new faces, uh, please, you know, follow on Spotify or however you're listening, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts. 
um, Anchor, if you're using it, uh, just everybody, it's everything helps. So, you know, whether you come from Bennett or you come from me, I want to thank you guys and uh, just go Seattle in all ways, all ways of life, always a sport. Uh, Black Lives Matter. Make sure you get out and vote. So waiting on my ballot here. Um, and just continue to stay healthy and stay safe out there.